0: Daniel chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 8 through 21. As you're turning, review just a little bit of what we covered last week. We went through Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and that is basically the story of multiple teenagers, but four in particular, four teenage young men from the southern kingdom of Israel, known as Judah, taken into Babylonian captivity. Uh, Then... We see them begin to be assimilated into the Babylonian culture as they were taken into this captivity. One of the, we, we looked at three things that they were asked to do, three worldly things that they were asked to do. Number one, they were asked to change what they learned. You know, they, they went from learning through a Hebrew culture and the ways of the Israelites in that culture and they got moved into the Babylonian culture and they were asked and expected to learn things that they wanted them to learn. The next, the next thing that we see them needing to make a change or having an ask of them is that they changed their names. They took away their Hebrew names and they gave them Babylonian names. And we talked about what that meant, the meaning behind not only the Hebrew names, but also about what the names meant in Babylon. If you weren't here with us last week, I encourage you, grab a CD out there, or, you know, go to our website, um, the podcast is on there. And then we saw in verse 8, where the third ask was made, and that was for them to change their diet. And they kind of gave a little bit of pushback. In all of these moments of change and transition, the one area that we see them halting and kind of hitting the brakes with was what they were going to consume. So this morning, I think that if we're looking at a theme for verses 8 through 21 in Daniel and kind of the main lesson is I think this shows us how to live in the world while remaining completely faithful and dependent upon God. So let's look at this, verses 8 through 21, the first chapter of Daniel. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, "'I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink.'" Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see." So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus." Will you pray with me this morning? Father, again, we are thankful and so very blessed to be here this morning, to be able to worship you, to be able to lift up our voices in songs, to partake of your, um, your Lord's Supper and remember the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. God, now, as we move into our time of worship where we open up your word, I ask that you open us up as well that we would learn from it, that we would be challenged by it, that we would be convicted by it, and that it would be a source of comfort. Father, I pray right now uh, for me. I pray that you use my voice. I pray that you take my words and make them yours. Holy Spirit, speak through me because we have come this morning to hear a word from the Lord. We didn't come here to hear a word from man. So I just ask that you inspire me to speak rightly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now as I read this passage, and as I thought about some of the connections that we can see here with different scriptures, I couldn't help but notice, my favorite book in the Bible is the Book of Psalms. I love the Book of Psalm because it just it really seems to encapsulate and encapture my heart uh, and my Christian walk, which is a roller coaster. And I don't know if anyone else in here feels like your walk, your life period. But your walk with God, sometimes you're, you're up on this very tip-top mountain experience and then maybe in the next moment you find yourself crashing down to a low valley. And I think that that's what we see in the book of Psalms and I, I love it for that. And as I was reading and studying for this throughout the week, I couldn't help but go back to Psalms chapter 1 and chapter 2 and look at the connection between those two. Psalm chapter 1 basically talks about a person who is not enticed, or not seduced by the advice of the wicked. And while they move on and go to Psalm chapter 2, it says this details the person that delights in the Lord's instruction. So you see Psalm 1 talking about how that we shouldn't be enticed by the world. And what's the opposite of not being enticed by the world? What we need to do is we need to find delight in the instruction of God, or we need to find delight in his word this morning. And I believe that we see these principles found in this passage that we just read. I believe that we see a group of young men who do not, they're not enticed by the wicked. They're not enticed by this pagan culture, this this culture of the world that they have been engulfed in. They don't find themselves compromising nor enticed by it, but rather we begin to see them delighting in the instructions and the law of God. You see, I believe in in verse chapter, you know, in verse (sighs) 1, words are hard this morning, folks, words are hard. Verse 8 of chapter 1, I love the way it's introduced. It says that Daniel resolved. Some versions say Daniel determined. Guys, our heart is what leads our spiritual journey. Our heart of affection for him. It's not about what we think. It's not about what we speak. It's about what comes from in here. Because what Daniel did is before he responded, before he faced the situation, before he even took a step, he resolved or he determined in his heart that he was not going to compromise his convictions. So we see in verse 8 that Daniel resolves or Daniel determines. Daniel couldn't determine where he lived. He could not determine where he lived. This was being forced on him. He was a resident of Babylon, and there was nothing he could do to change that. But what, could, what Daniel could do was that he could determine his home. He couldn't determine where he lived, but he could determine where his home was. And I believe that Daniel was focused on the same thing that his forefather Abraham was. When we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, it says that Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You see, we, we have a hard time in our culture of being able to really connect with this because for the most part, we can determine where we live geographically. We can determine that, but one thing that we have a greater determination level over is where we consider our home. You see, guys, and I'm not trying to be too callous with this statement, but just as Daniel and the the other boys were taken into Babylonian captivity, we live in Babylon. What I mean by when I say that is we live in a world that tries to influence us, to take us away from what God wants for our life, from what we need to learn from his word, from what we need to learn in him. It tries to change our identity. It tries to take who God has created us to be and twist it and contort it and he tries to get us to believe lies that we are not something that God actually created us to be. And then it tries to get us to consume things that we don't need to be consuming. Guys, we live in Babylon. And the one thing we can control somewhat where we live geographically, but we cannot, we cannot compromise where our home is. Our home is not in this world. Our home is in heaven. And one day, I want to hear the words of the Apostle Paul that he's talking about that he wants to hear. I have run the race, I've fought the fight, I've finished it. And I've done everything I could. And I want to hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter in. Because that's my home. This is where I live. That's my home. And it's this focus, I believe, that takes Daniel into where he makes his stand. Daniel begins to take his stand, not with what he learns, not with a name change, but he takes his stand Over food. Think about that for just a moment. It's not about what he learned. It's not even about a name change. Listen, you can change my name, but you can't change who God created me to be. You can change what you call me, but you cannot change my heart. I'm the one that determines that, and my heart is going to be focused. I'm going to determine that I'm focused on Jesus Christ. And, you know, we really don't know the reasons exactly why, but to me, that kind of, you know, sticks out a little bit is like, we get to the food, and listen, I can appreciate good food and taking a stand on, on good food. I don't understand the whole meat thing about how you could go without meat. If you're a vegetarian in here, I, I'm sorry, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I think that if God didn't want us to eat animals, he wouldn't have made them out of meat. I don't know. Okay, Listen, you do you, and that's fine, but I just don't understand it. But that's the way they went. Okay, that's the way they went. The Revised Standard Version of the Bible calls this rich food. It says it is rich food. And I, I kind of got to thinking about what would be considered rich food. And I, I kind of come up with a couple examples. You know, and I, I'm thinking that if this would have been food that I'm not, I'm not convinced that these young men would have ever had in their lives. I don't think that they would have ever seen this. I don't think they would have ever consumed it. I think this would have been food on a level that they have never eaten before in their lives. And I think that a, a temptation for them would have been, and I know I would have, I don't know how strong I would have been in this moment. But you're surrounded, you've been kidnapped, you've been taken away from home, you've been taken away from everything that you ever know, everything that you're comfortable with, everything that you've been born into, and that is removed from you in a moment. And you go into this new culture where you're being held hostage against your will. And all of these things seem to be compiling against you. One of the things that I would have been tempted to do was be going, well God, God must be punishing me. I must have done something wrong somewhere. Oh my goodness, look at that stake. all right (laughs) I mean but, but think about it I would have been tempted to just give in and compromise but they didn't and we don't know exactly why they didn't but I can you know think about that if you're invited to a meeting a secretive meeting of the world's elite most powerful most influential richest people in the world and think about that you're invited to this dinner think about the food that you would see served there and that's kind of the same way that I picture this food being for them. And I got I got a little bit of a story to tell you. When Kim and I were, were first married, I went to work for a company and they sent me on a trip. And they gave me a company credit card and they said, Here, you've got this, you know, provide your meals, stuff like that. And I was like, Ooh, All right. So I end up, you know, and and you know, those of us who have who have been there at this point, which is all of us, my big idea of the rich food was a steak at Malone's in Lexington, big filet mignon right there. And see, that's what I'm sitting there, and and I'm having this moment of what Daniel had to be facing with this filet sitting in front of me. But think about that. These young men, teenagers, who are facing this opportunity to compromise, and they say no. We don't know exactly why they say no. It might have been because of dietary reasons. It might have been unclean Uh, for the Hebrew diet. It might have been for a religious or spiritual reason because it had been sacrificed, that, that meat had been sacrificed to idols. And it may have even been symbolic to show that they would not pledge their absolute loyalty to the king. But what they did understand is they may have been forced into Babylon, but they wouldn't allow Babylon to be forced into them. They were forced into Babylon, into that culture, but they did not allow that culture to be forced into them. When we look at verses 9 and 10, we see that they've come to this point of decision. And I want to draw our attention to the way that Daniel handles himself. In in verses 9 and 10, when he says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion on Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. I want us to understand the approach that Daniel took, his conduct here. Daniel was gracious, he was kind, and he was honoring. Even in the midst of a pagan culture, those three things were what we see Daniel being. Things he was not, he was not rude, he was not self-righteous, nor was he disrespectful. And we're going to see here in a couple of weeks, this played out in a big way. In Daniel's life. This very fact of that he handled himself even in the midst of pagan kings. He handled himself with grace, with kindness, and with honor. And we can look and we can see other examples of this in the Old Testament. When you look at the life of Joseph, you can see someone else who did the same thing. When you look at the life of Esther, you see someone who did the same thing. I think that we as believers, as Christians today need to learn a significant lesson from this. But because we have this "us against them" mentality, that we were, are almost militant towards it, but we need to learn how to serve those that God has placed in our lives with grace, with kindness, with honor, and with humility. I, I found a, a poll that was done in 2017, and, and I understand polls. You know, I could ask two, I could ask three people a question and if i got 2 out of 3 that said you know one thing i could say the macho- took a poll and the majority said but just go with it okay i found this poll from 2017 and i believe it's accurate but when they were asked they asked non-christians to describe three things that christians are known for here's the top 3 answers that they got first was being judgmental being judgmental secondly being hypocritical. And thirdly, this one kind of surprised me, being terrible friends. Said that Christians were most known for being judgmental, for being hypocritical, and being terrible friends. So I think that there's a lesson for us to learn in the way that Daniel and these other three young men handle themselves through this process of living in Babylon while not not making that their home. We see Daniel in verses 11 through 13. He begins to present a win-win here. Because here's here's the two options that they had up until this point. Number one was that the young men defiled themselves. They ate of the food and they drank the wine. And they compromised their convictions and they defiled themselves. Option number two was the king's servant, Aspenaz, would be taken, you know, he would be deheaded. He would lose his head. So I don't see a real win-win situation right there. Either you're going to be defiling yourself and compromising your convictions or somebody's going to lose their head. But what Daniel does is he begins to to give an option three, a win-win kind of situation. And I believe that it's because that he handled himself with grace, kindness and honor that he was able to have a voice of influence into these people's lives about a third option and that third option was give us vegetables and water for 10 days and if if it's going the wrong direction if we don't look better than them if it doesn't work then we'll reassess after 10 days but let's just try it for 10 days I believe that we can handle ourselves in such a way as believers that does not compromise our convictions, but yet still handles ourselves with grace, honor, and respect to the world in which we live in. And I believe that we see that in Daniel's life. I like Chuck Swindoll's summary of this passage that says, In a world filled with people who rebel against the divine king, it is inevitable that believers of all ages will face situations in which their convictions will be challenged. We need to commit ourselves to living god 's way regardless of the temptations to live otherwise. I think that's a very powerful statement, and I encourage you if you if you have the app, if you are using the take notes section on that, I encourage you to keep that quote close to you in the next passage, Daniel. In chapter 1, verses 14 through 21, we see where God's faithfulness is true to those who honor, honor him. We see his faithfulness on display here. And we see that he, he blesses these young men in four different ways. The first way is God blesses them physically. And we see that in verses 14 through 16, where it talks about that they looked better. Not only did they look as good after these 10 days, but they looked better than the others. We see in verses 17 and 20 that God blesses them mentally as well because they, God began to gave them, uh, give them understanding of things of the Babylonian culture. If you look, it says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand vision and dreams of all kinds. Thirdly, God blessed them spiritually, and we see that in that passage also, and then fourthly... God blessed them socially. So think about this, verses 18 through 21. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to them. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Guys, when we are faithful to honor God, and when we are faithful to stand firm in our convictions, God is faithful to us. You missed a really good spot to say amen right there. He is faithful to us, and I think each and every one of us have experienced that in our lives. A quote on, the, on this situation of Daniel and his life uh, from John MacArthur that I want to read to you. I don't have it posted or a slide for it, says Daniel served in his influential position for 70 years. His integrity and his uncompromising character had far-reaching results. When I see the wise men coming from the east, I think of the impact that Daniel's theology must have had upon the Babylonians' astrology. God gave him the influence that I believe led to the decree of Cyrus to send people back to their land. Influence that led to the rebuilding of the wall under Nehemiah into the reestablishing of the nation of Israel. Influence that eventually led the wise men to come to crown the king who was born in Bethlehem. Daniel was behind the scenes of the history of the Messiah as well as the Messiah's people. Daniel had unlimited influence for through his prophecy He brings homage to the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. MacArthur's talking about Daniel's influence leading up to Jesus Christ. So my closing this morning is I'm going to ask the same question this week that I did last week. Where do we see Jesus in this text? Where do we see Jesus in this text? If you're familiar with, with the life of Jesus and some of the stories and some of the events that took place, you're going to be familiar with an event that took place in his life where he was in the wilderness alone by himself for 40 days where he didn't eat or drink. And he was approached by Satan, and he was tempted by Satan to compromise his convictions. One of the temptations that Jesus faced was in regards to food. You remember that? He was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And one of the temptations was, you see these stones, if you're the son of man, if you're, you know, God, and turn them, just make the command and they'll be turned into bread for you to have. We see Jesus in this passage where there's an element of food and an element of temptation about what you consume about not remaining true to your convictions. We see where Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah gave faithful witness before all those officials that they came before. Jesus Christ came and he gave a faithful witness before Herod and Pilate. The difference was that Daniel and these three young men survived when Jesus gave that witness faithfully, not compromising his convictions, not telling them what they wanted to hear. He was nailed to a cross.